Well, here we are for the God in Government podcast. I'm your host, John Steinreich. Welcome to the Free Speech Zone. And also, big round of applause for my wingman, Mark Richardson, on the line. There I am. There hey, John. You are. <laughs> well, we're, we're in for a treat today, Mark, because we're going to talk about one of the most important subjects facing us, which is the cancel culture. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I thought you were going to talk about Santa. I thought that was the case. But then again, the cancel culture is just as important. <laughs> well, I, I totally get that. Um, so let me see here. Special guest on today. And uh, I'm going to keep the audience in suspense till I get him on the line. But, um, you know, cancel culture is definitely an issue that is confronting us because uh, everywhere we look, we're having something shut down in the domain of free speech, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you know, actually, John, it's like uh, yesterday, I actually was curious. So I actually looked what the definition for cancel culture is. And one of the ways it's defined by, uh, by Webster is a modern form of ostracism in which someone with with uh with someone is thrust off of social or professional circles either online or as i online or social media or in the real world or both mm. yeah the so the social ostracism is a very bad thing and um i've, I've been reading 1984 all over again and uh, I haven't read it for many, many years, but it really striking how similar the, uh, the phenomenon that Orwell had envisioned was relative to what is going on today. The idea of a memory hole, like things, you know, in the past just disappearing out of the discussion about people vanishing, you know, in the 1984 um, scenario, it was, you know, it was people being basically disappeared. Uh, physically, but in, in our time, we have this incredible phenomenon of being disappeared electronically, digitally. And I think that that does not bode well for our future. What, what are your thoughts in that regard? Well, it, well, it doesn't. I mean, it, like, for example, you could take a look at that, that definition. And we've always had, we've always had like social ostracism, like, but usually it was, it was, for example, I don't know, if you want to say like people who were not uh, obeying the social order in terms of maybe uh, violence, in terms of uh, crime, in terms of the situations like that, in which the society, you know, for the group, for the overall good of the of the group, mm-hmm. would shun that individual. But what yeah. happened? What's happened now is we're taking it, we're we're taking that, and then we're adding in 1984. It's like groupthink, or exactly what you were describing, John. And we're we're taking something, we're taking that ostracism, and now it's become a uh, we. It's like it's been weaponized. Yes. So what we're yeah, like in in terms of sort of <clears throat> excuse me, the modern the modern intellectual space, the modern political space, everything really is within domain of social media. And so if you're a person who has an opinion and you want to engage in the marketplace of ideas, really where you would go is to any number of social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and the like. And um, if for some reason you run afoul of the people who run those entities and you find yourself shadow banned or permanently banned over something that they consider objectionable, you've been disappeared. You've, You've gone down the memory hole. You've vanished out of the space. 
And that then creates a vacuum of the dialogue in political discourse. And that doesn't seem to bode very well for freedom and liberty within the civil society. I mean, uh, in, in, in totalitarian countries, people just disappear off the street. But hey, um, in America, we've got another issue. What do you think about that? Right, because now it's no longer, the ostracism is no longer the person. Now it's, now it's the idea. It's their, it's their voice. It's their opinion. It's what they, it's, a, it's, it's what they, it's what they stand for. It's so it's uh, and that's go that that sort of goes back to the 1984 like the group think. It's anything that anything that interferes with the processing of everybody along the same page with what the thought is is a threat, and right. that, that threat must be removed. Right, exactly. So, hey, Mark, give me one second here. I'm going to pause the recording because I got to try to get our special guest on the line. So I'm going to close this for a second. We'll restart in a moment. All right. All right. Looks like I got uh, Mark Tapson on the line. And I got Mark Richardson back. Can you guys hear me? Yes, well, yes, I can. Well, there, there you go. There, there you go. Technology is not always our friend, but fantastic you know one thing that i, I was thinking um on, on this episode i'm outnumbered mark two john one um but uh, that's a biblical thing so since this is the god and government podcast that that actually works for me <laughs> i think that's appropriate well terrific um let me just give a, a little bit of background here uh for our listeners uh mark tapson is a showman fellow at the david horowitz freedom center He's a writer and public speaker whose work is dedicated to defending the values of Western civilization from tyrannical and anti-liberty doctrines. Uh, he primarily focuses his work on defending the culture of the West, and it's in that milieu where American freedom was birthed and has prospered. And uh, you can find his work online at marktapson.com. Did I do okay, Mark Tapson? That was a very nice introduction. Thank you. Your, your check is in the mail. Okay, terrific. <laughs> and, and Mark, and you could actually tell this was important because we pulled out the $3.50 words. Me <laughs> oh, you. Yes, <laughs> yes my, my, uh, yeah. my liberal education that my parents paid for is paying off quite well in that introduction. Excellent. So um, as I was mentioning in the opening seg segment with uh, Mark Richardson, my, my wingman, we're talking about cancel culture today. And um, some, an aphorism that I really liked by the great, uh, the late great Andrew Breitbart was culture uh, or politics is downstream from, from culture. I thought that was a really astute observation yes. because we see mm -hmm. sort of the, the, the political climate emanates from culture. So right. what I wanted to ask you, Mark Tapson, is what would you say, how would you define culture and why we, as people of uh, conservative or traditional values, why we ought to be engaged in, in the cultural battle? That is a very good question. And it's something that conservatives have not really been asking themselves uh, for many, many years now. And meanwhile, the left has been uh, working very hard to control all of the arenas of culture. And they've they're so successful at it now that we're, I always say that we're not even in a culture war any longer. We've lost that culture war. We're not in a position to be waging one. We're only in a position to be waging a culture insurgency now. Mm 
Right. Um, so we're really, you know, we're very far behind in terms of understanding the importance of culture. Okay. Well, what, what are we talking about then when we talk about culture, we're talking about what culture is, is, is really the shared values and customs, um, the artistic expressions, the language, the learning, the whole, basically the whole shared worldview and experience of a people or a country or region of, of some sort. It's the, it's the, the moral and the aesthetic and the intellectual reality that we are all kind of immersed in every day. It's, it's about, uh, and, and one of the reasons it's important is that culture is about the narratives that we create for ourselves through which we understand ourselves, um, where we have been, where we are now, and where we're going. And so, you know, it's about who our heroes and villains are, what our triumphs and defeats are, what achievements we honor. So it's really critical that we are involved. Um, as far as America is concerned, our culture has really become defined by and shaped by pop culture, as opposed to right. you know what used to be called high culture, like the fine arts and the classics and all that. Pop culture now is American culture, and American culture is world culture. So really, there's literally nothing more significant for the direction and the flourishing, not only of our country, but really of Western civilization more broadly, than to concern ourselves with the values and beliefs and expressions of our culture. Um, and if you, if you wonder, you know, if conservatives wonder just how important it is to be engaged in the culture, all you have to do is look around us and see what the culture has become without us. Um, and that is the result of conservatives kind of turning their back on culture, specifically pop culture, and saying things like, oh, I'm repulsed by Hollywood, you know, I, I'm not giving them a dime of my money, I canceled my cable, I canceled Netflix. And that's an impulse that I totally get. Yeah, <laughs> I totally understand absolutely. that. It's there's it's reasonable to feel that way. Mm -hmm. However, it's not helpful for understanding what we're up against or or pushing back against it. So we need to engage in the culture, in pop culture, as uh, repulsive as it might seem to mm -hmm. us in some ways, because you know, as conservatives, what we want to conserve is our culture. We want to to conserve and pass on the best that's come before us, you know, our, the, the whole accumulated wisdom and achievements of the great thinkers and artists of the past. Uh, and, and that culture is not being passed down anymore in our schools. Uh, it's not being revered in the culture at large. You can see it now in the, the tearing down of statues, uh, the whole erasure of school names, you know, honoring figures from the past, uh, the canceling of literary figures like Shakespeare mm. uh, and, and Mark Twain. Um, you know, the work of dead white males in museums is now being replaced by uh, an emphasis on artists and their so-called diversity, meaning the skin color of the artist, not his or her talent or, right. or artistic vision. So we need to get involved in the culture or we will lose it entirely. Wow. Wow. <laughs> hey, Mark, I, I was listening to you, like, you know, just kind of jaw hanging open going, wow, that was a great a description of it and i was thinking to myself it's like when you were when describing the whole definition of culture and i kind of looked at you know, kind of the geographical definition of countries mm -hmm. and then i and then i kind of likened it to to me it's like sort of cultures is a bit of the country's dna it's what it's a bit yeah. of the hard wiring that goes into what what makes a country and it's almost to me now where where the direction of our 
of cultures going, it's almost as if it, uh, a cancer has been introduced into it, or 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 there's some kind of uh, DNA manipulation, as mm-hmm. if we're as if we're trying to change that that DNA into something different, and we're not concerned with what it's doing to the host. Uh, yes, and and that that cancer, as you call it, that's metastasizing through through the culture, is really um, it's it's I don't want to you know, bring everything down to politics here, but it's really about the left's um, agenda to, to push, um, to push cancel culture, Mm. which is a big, a big thing now, you know, obviously, I mean, I kind of was referring to it before when I talked about um, Shakespeare and Mark Twain and all these other, you know, giants of our past culture being erased. Cancel culture is really about, uh, it's about this, it's about a totalitarian impulse to deny human nature. That's really what, what it's about. And, and what I mean by that is one of the most meaningful lessons that we can learn from the past is that in all times and all places through history, people have been and continue to be fallen, broken, imperfect, complex beings. And that is not a lesson that the woke crowd wants us to take to heart right. because it runs counter. It runs counter to their utopian vision for humanity. You know, they want to rid the world of racism and poverty and uh, crime and misogyny and homophobia and inequality of every kind, you know, which would be great, mm. <laughs> except that is a doomed venture. And, but they cannot do that. They can't perfect the world if they admit that human nature is not perfectible. Um, so it's, it's, so cancel culture, um, what, you know, the, the point of cancel, cancel culture is to erase everything that came before, to just burn it all to the ground in this cleansing fire of social justice activism so that utopia can be rebuilt on top of that. Uh, and so it's a complete denial of culture and um, puts everything in the hands of of the state essentially, um, which is what totalitarians do. Yeah. So, so anyway, that was, I, I'm not even sure what your original question was because <laughs> <laughs> I, I went so far afield, you know, I, I tend to digress so much that my wife says I need a GPS to get to the point. Um, <laughs> well, let me, let me serve as a GPS Mark. So yeah, you, you, you started to define cancel culture and that was the first topic in depth that I wanted to discuss and again, since this is the God and Government uh, podcast, I wanted to bring in a little scripture here because we try to relate what the Bible, yeah. the ancient source, uh, tells us and how it can apply. And I'm looking in the Old Testament here. I'm going to get really in the weeds in a book called Amos and chapter mm-hmm. 7. And the scripture reads this, Amos 7, verses 10 through 12. And um, we'll see how this works. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, said to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos uh, has conspired against you in the uh, midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword. Israel must go in exile away from this land. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away from the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never prophesy at Bethel for the king's sanctuary. That's it is the temple of the kingdom. That's verses 10 through 14. Now, it might sound a little flowery to our listeners, but what you see here is the prophet Amos is 
telling a message that the powers that be don't want to hear. They just don't. And it says, very interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, the land is not able to bear his words. And then the king says, get this guy out of here. I don't want to hear it. Go somewhere else. And I thought to myself, wow, the scripture was talking about cancel culture, even in ancient Israel, hundreds of years before the New Testament. And in a lot of ways, I think what we're seeing now from a secular perspective is that the culture and the powers that be that run the culture are saying, hey, we don't want to hear truth. We don't want to hear old wisdom. Yeah. Get out of here. So, Mark Tapson, how would you respond to that that idea of sort of this ancient uh, concept that we see in the Bible? How does that relate to what's going on effectively in cancel culture today? Well, I, you know, I gave a speech just the other day to a group of people, um, and it was largely about uh, some of the big issues that we've been facing as conservatives, including cultural Marxism and uh, the importance of the culture. A lot of what we're, we're actually talking about today. And, and at the end of my talk, I, I tried to give them a couple of action points. You know, you don't, you don't want to leave them just depressed. Right. <laughs> you, have to, <laughs> you, have, you have to give people some kind of idea of what to do, although it's really difficult to move the needle of the culture as it stands now, unless you own a movie studio, right. you know, or a, a publishing company or something. So it's, it's, so it's very easy for conservatives without any kind of cultural power to feel helpless. And, and, uh, and indeed there's not a lot you can do. You ha you can only act in your own personal domain. And the first thing I told them to do, I said, first and foremost, and above all, tell the truth, right? You have to tell the truth about about the way the world really is. And like, like you said, that the totalitarians don't want to hear the truth, but, and they want to break you down. They want to break your will and your resistance and make you accept the state's version of reality, even if it conflicts with the evidence right in front of your eyes. Um, and so the only way to resist that is just to, to commit to the idea to commit to telling the truth, regardless of the consequences, and that's no small thing because the consequences um, could be very severe. Um, and you see what happens now. You can see what's happening already to people who try to tell the mm -hmm. truth. You know, if an academic tries to, you know, if it, you know, if one of the rare conservative academics tries to. Uh, um, or refuses to use a student's preferred pronoun, he right. can get fired. Um, and, you know, you, you, so uh, just asserting the simple truth that a man cannot be a woman and vice versa, and that personal pro pronouns are nonsensical, um, that is, it ha that has serious consequences. And I totally understand why people would just want to play along to get along. But if we're, if we're going to push back, it starts with telling the truth and not just your truth mm -hmm. or my truth. There, there is no such thing. There's only the truth. And um, it's no small thing, but it, but it's the biggest thing. You know, um, Mark, I, I know you, you mentioned, you mentioned a term in there and, you know, just, just for the, the listening folks in the audience who, uh, you know, it's like who may not understand that concept. You'd mentioned cultural Marxism. Uh, 
could you could you could you give like a brief like a a brief snapshot of when you you when you're using the that con that terminology yeah what, how it's how it's being applied uh, yes that's a good point because a lot of conservatives hear this term cultural Marxism floating around but they don't really they don't really understand what it is um, to put it really briefly because it, it can be as complex a topic as you want to make it and you know you can go way down a rabbit hole trying to uh, talk about the roots of it and how it's mixed with postmodernism and all kinds of other intellectual offshoots of this, this idea. But basically, it is the application of Marxist aims to the culture, not just to economics, um, because, you know, Marxism fails spectacularly in the world of economics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's look at Venezuela, for example, you know, as a perfect example of a failed state that, that insisted on Marxist economics. Um, but in the cultural realm, it succeeds spectacularly. So cultural Marxism, it, it, it was a, an intellectual thread or a strain that was developed in the 30s and 40s um, and has kind of grown from there. And it's, it's essentially about undermining the, the culture um, and, uh, you know, applying this whole oppressor versus oppressed model of Marxism to the culture. And that's where identity politics stems from, basically. Yeah. It's, you know, identity politics um, reduces us all to um, either a, a, the oppressor group or various oppressed groups. So that's how cultural Marxism works in the culture. And it's just, it's, it's just metastasized like a cancer, to use your, your earlier uh, metaphor, throughout our culture. And a lot of conservatives don't really realize how effective that's been. It just all of a sudden, we've just been rocked on our heels by all this stuff that's going on in academia and in the entertainment world and the news media. Well, it all, all of that stuff stems from the successful... Um, uh, spread of cultural Marxism. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it's um, what happened in the 20th century in America uh, is that the, the evident failure of Marxism, classical Marxism, with sort of that uh, haves and have not philosophy just didn't work here, right? Because there was too much upward mobility. So the Marxists could not create the class warfare that they had uh, wanted to achieve, which right. had, you know, it happened in, in Russia and uh, ultimately led to the, the terror of the Soviet Union. But it didn't happen in America, happened maybe to a lesser degree in Western Europe, but certainly not in America. And so cultural Marxism came about, you know, like you were saying, in the 30s and 40s, really um, a as a means to create that, that binary choice. You know, in, in Marx's day, it was the, the, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. That was the binary choice. That was the fight. Well, in America, that didn't work because the proletariat could jump up into the bourgeoisie. And so in America, it, it had to come in different forms. And I, the, the tragic part of it is that it, it came in the form of racism or, or the picking mm -hmm. at the scab of America's racial past. And it goes back way, you know, a long time ago. And I remember reading about the Scottsboro Boys in 1931 who were falsely accused, a group of African-American guys accused of a sexual crime and who came to their defense well the american communist party did and then uh i've read about a fellow named manning johnson who was a, a black man from new york who was in the communist party in the 30s and 40s and he he left 
after he recognized what the the international communists were doing to really pick at the scab of racial tension in in America, and um, and it, it's been very effective. And what we see now is the the terrible vestiges of that um, that cultural Marxism coming down to us in this horrific racial tension, which I don't think needs to be. So I, I'd love to hear both of you guys what your feedback is on that. I'll, 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 let the, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the first Mark go first. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you, Mark. Um, well, you know, uh, Saul Alinsky, who is one of the major influences in, in the Democrat Party in terms of uh, strategy, you know, he wrote the book yeah. Rules for Radicals, which is dedicated to yep. Lucifer, by the way. It's something that's good to point out. Uh, one of the things he said was critical for their for the success of their strategy was to rub raw the resentments mm. of the people, and you know so the, as or as you put it, picking the scabs of of this racial right. resentment, and that has been ratcheted up to just an insane degree now, as you were suggesting, and um, it's it's tragic. Uh, yeah, I agree. We're just. We're, we're caught up in, in the most um, divisive, um, in, in the grip of this divisive new anti-racism ideology, which uh, is just uh, is tearing this nation apart, frankly. Um, and, and you can see the left just rubbing that resentment raw and um, creating this whole sense that, that America is a white supremacist nation um, whose history is rooted in racism and slavery, and it's in our DNA and all these other expressions that uh, the left likes to, to use. Um, and it's, it, it, it goes hand in hand with their erasure of our culture, with erasing our history, because our history uh, you know, was very yeah. unwoke. <laughs> and so anything that came before the age of wokeness now must be uh, eradicated. So it, it it goes hand in hand with erasing our history and starting over, um, it, um, you know, in this new age of, of wokeness. Yeah. As, and that's, and that's a great point. And just, I mean, it's, it's, it's the extreme absurdity of where, where things are going right now. I mean, I, 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 I've, I can, I can actually go in my, in my pantry here have a bowl of white Christians <laughs> and be considered a white supremacist because it's like, well, you're eating the rice. The, the rice is obviously white, so therefore you are racist. You're not kidding. Now, you're, <laughs> you know, and it, you're, you're not kidding. I just want to throw in a similar example. Uh, I mean, you were you picked that example as kind of a joke, but this was a real world example. It was some woman professor not long ago who suggested that we. That, we, that children from pre-K on start using colored paper instead of white paper because uh, <laughs> using white paper sort of established in their minds that, that you know, that white oh, was my. the norm. And so, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it would be laughable if it weren't so terrifying. Oh, exactly. I mean, I was actually just uh, watching, a, uh, watching on YouTube a, um, a video and it was talking about, uh, say, for example, Disney. Disney now is in the process of sanitizing uh, their like their their uh, their intellectual property for like for children. Of course, we know like like song like Song of the South is basically banned from Disney. You can't watch it on 
any kind of Disney platform. You can only buy mm-hmm. a bootleg. And now, and now they're going through the application of uh, Dumbo. You know, D- Dumbo now is being <laughs> it's like it's, it's going to be sanitized. And <laughs> I mean, literally, any 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 of their body of work that's from the '40s or '50s, mm-hmm. it, it it's going to be in the process of we we can't we can't admit our history. So, like you were saying, Mark, we have to now sanitize it and clean it up. And the scary part about that is, is now in our digital nature and in, in our in our digitization of our of our culture, if you can go in and erase it, and now people have no background, they have no they have no um, reference point anymore. It's like all they will see is the sanitized version of what it's like of what the left wants you to see, and you and you can't and you can't say you can't have that conversation with people with hey yeah this is how the thought process was during this time period when this was made. Mm-hmm. So let's discuss that and see how we move forward from that. Now it's, oh, no, no, no. We don't want discussion. We don't want you thinking about that. So here we're going to whitewash it, and now we're going to make it this, and now that's what you're going to watch. Uh, yeah, that that's absolutely true. Um, it's um, – sorry, I got distracted here for a moment. I've got a lot <laughs> of kids running around. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's – you know, I hate to overuse a, a metaphor here, but um, it's straight out of 1984. Yes, you know, the kind of rewriting, kind of rewriting of history, and uh, or you know, erasing our digital history. And it's just, um, you know, the totalitarians don't want to engage in, do- in debate or, or or talk about ideas. They just want to eliminate debate and alternate ideas altogether. So that requires. Erasing everything. Yep, before. it's quite quite a sad phenomenon. Um, I want to pivot for just a second here and, and move on to a second topic, which is uh, cultural decay. And I'm going to read you another passage here, and then we'll comment. So I'm in the New Testament now. It's First Peter uh, chapter four, verses one through four, and this is what he says: Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time. Uh, in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So here you you see um, the Apostle Peter giving some advice to the the uh, primitive church and he's telling them hey i'm looking around at the culture around you guys and um they do all these crazy things they're basically giving into their sensuality all the time and they're surprised that you don't join them in this same level of debauchery and i thought to myself well gosh isn't that really what's going on today i mean people are surprised if if you don't you know look at amazon prime or netflix and just dive into the flood of dissipation that's up there and uh, the culture back in the new testament was decaying and here we see america and western civilization in the beginnings of the 21st century undergoing that same kind of decay so mark tapson when you think about cultural decay what what are the markers or I mean, what are the things that we ought to be on the lookout for particularly for parents, what should we be looking for and defending against uh, to prevent this decadence from entering our own sphere? 
Oh my gosh, it's um, it's an uphill battle trying to keep that you know trying to right. keep above the floodwaters um, because as Christians we um, we need to try to be or we have to be in the world but not of it, um, and that requires just a really firm conviction um, about your values and your beliefs. You know, I I pulled back quite a bit from pop culture. Um, like a lot of conservatives, even though I'm supposed yeah. to be a culture critic. Uh, but I, our, I think our culture has just gone from, to me, it seems like it's gone from celebrating the true and yeah. the good and the beautiful to wallow, wallowing in the, the false, the bad, <laughs> and the ugly. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I browse Netflix, for example, and I see lots of examples of a culture that has just become infected with or infiltrated by, however you want to phrase it, yep. the demonic uh, I mean, I see a lot of things and I think that that's just flat out demonic. Mm. Um, so you can just you can see the demonic in the world around us and in the culture. You can see it in a lot of modern art, for example. Um, and you, you, it's, it's hard to find. It's hard for Christian conservatives to find examples in pop culture of any kind of striving yeah. for the transcendent or the sublime or, or even the heroic. Um, the heroic in kind of a grand sense. I mean, one movie that comes to mind that I think exemplifies that is Hacksaw Ridge, which was, uh, I don't know if you saw that Mel mm-hmm. Gibson's movie from a couple of years ago uh, about the battle of Okinawa and about the first conscientious objector who was given the congressional medal of honor. I mean, that was a movie which really celebrated a, a guy's spiritual convictions wow. and in the face of a lot of resistance and to an extent that, that he became almost, that he uh, performed almost superhuman heroic acts while remaining true to these convictions. It was just, it was uh, really kind of extraordinary. I thought uh, in terms of how it stood out from the rest of pop culture, Um, we kind of live in an age in which our entertainment tends to celebrate anti-heroes and uh, it's, utterly devoid of religion and religious characters except as caricatures you know um you would never know from watching the vast majority of tv and movies that that god (laughs) even exists for any of these characters or exists in that world you know the world is always kind of depicted as just a spiritual or or if there's any spirituality it's 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 um it's a demonic (laughs) spirituality um Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling again, but it's um, it, it's tough to tune that out. And in terms of keeping it away from our children, I, I have four little girls um, and my wife and I homeschool. Them. And part of the reason, well, a, a huge, maybe the biggest reason that we homeschool them is because our educational system is is completely um it's completely worthless yep. now. It's completely broken from not just in universities, but from pre-K on. And our goal and the goal of uh, other friends we have in our homeschooling community is, is to protect our kids from that long enough to, to prepare them for it and to develop a, a sense of, of personal convictions and spiritual convictions um, as they engage in the world, uh, which they, you know, will ultimately be doing. I mean, they're all, we're already doing it to some extent, but, um, but it's just, it's necessary to try to build kids up because when I see 
kids of when I see non-homeschooled kids, the difference is just dramatic. You can see already that the world has its claws on them. And um, that's, it, it's a terrifying thing, but it's, you know, you just, you have to start in your own personal space and start at home, start with your own kids or, and friends and just um, help de develop a shell for yourselves to protect yourself from, um, from the outside world, from today's pop culture. You know, I, I got to, I, I, with you two gentlemen here, I must, I have to freely admit, I will, I will admit this now. <laughs> I did watch Lucifer on Netflix. I do, I did. That I've repented, I've moved on. But, and, uh, and Mark is like, uh, what you were just talking about kind of uh, dovetailed into my definition of a cultural, uh, cultural decay, which is like when a culture no longer holds any value to the youth of the of the period and are, and is slowly cast aside in favor of new trends and and that's and and you hit on as john knows one of my one of my many mm -hmm. rants is against the education system you know it's like it, it, it's like education 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 these individuals these individuals who are who are teaching our children now have been has been twisted into indoctrination mm -hmm. with like they're, they're, our kids are being taught leftist marxist socialist principles and, and it's starting all the way from elementary school through junior high high school in the college and we, and as conservatives we have to sit back and, and ask ourselves the hard question it's it's we either as parents you know i'm not a parent john like john is i know you are as well we have to we either a have to take the reins and educate our children ourselves or or we have to invest the time in deprogramming yeah. because we know it's like we know that our, that our kids when they're coming through this coming up through this system every they're they're basically mm. being dipped they're being dipped in batter and they're and, and when they when they come out they're nice and fried left yeah. <laughs> and and there and there's very and, and there's very little as as conservatives we have to sit back and go you know what that's on us we they sure did. You know, the um the left played the yes. long game. I, I, I think, uh, John, I think it's like what are we talking about? Maybe 40, mm -hmm. 50 years of just, of just slowly taking over our culture. And and like you said, our culture is our music, our books, poetry, television, movies. And and, and I I can watch. I can turn on the uh, I can turn on the CW. And within five minutes, no, actually less than a minute of watching a show, I know mm -hmm. that I'm getting I'm getting some leftist message. You know, it, it's it, lesbianism is great. You need to accept it, accept it, accept it, and beating it into my head, going, I don't. Okay, all right, I'm sorry. I'll I'll be good. I promise. And you're right. It's, it's um we've been. We have to understand that this is this is a it is a counterinsurgency, but it is still war. It's like, and you're going to get hurt. People are going to, it's like, people are going to get wounded. You're going to lose a job. You're going to lose friends, but you have to look at the bigger picture here. If we don't do something about this, it's like, I, I, I don't know what this country is going to turn into, but it's not going to be something that we're going to be proud about or, or confident about. Uh, yeah, as far as education goes, you know, the aim of educators, or the majority of them anyway, the, the aim is not to respect the child's individuality or to uh, uh, develop their critical thinking skills or to pass on knowledge about the past. 
It's yeah. to create political activists. Their aim is to create from pre-K on. You're right. I'm not exaggerating. They're, the educator's aim is to create social justice warriors because every, they view everything now through the lens of political activism, just like journalists do. You know, journalists used to at least have a kind of a pretense of objectivity, or at least that was a that was a, a, a an assumed goal of journalism. But they're now political activists and open about it, and they think it's their moral obligation. So it's the same thing with educators. They feel it's their moral obligation to create social justice warriors out of these children to help create a better world. And um, the result is indoctrination, as, uh, as my <laughs> yep. fellow Mark put uh, Absolutely. We, we are confronted with a, a big mountain to climb in, in that domain. And yeah, Mark, uh, he does not like uh, the uh, education system. Uh, and he doesn't like the media. That's <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. hold on. It's like, let me go. Boo on the media. And it's like the, the fourth is, the fourth estate has abandoned us. It's like their, their job has always been to provide information and allow us, you know, silly us with our, with our brains that were given to us by God to discern Okay, here's our information. Here's that side. Here's that side. Let me determine what side I lay on. Now it's now it's not a, now it's not even information. It's basically it's pablum wrapped, wrapped in a wrapped in a candy coating of an, of uh, propaganda. And now you're being forced to swallow it. And also, if you don't like it, if you spit it out, oh oh oh. <laughs> You, you, my friend, will be canceled. We will well, come after great, you. Great stuff, guys. Let me. I want to uh, turn to one more topic before we finish this out, and I want to talk about the idea of the dissident culture. And I'm going to read you another passage here in the book of First Peter, just yeah. one verse, chapter two, nine. What Peter was saying to the church then, he said, "You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light." And in this, you see the apostle telling the church, you guys are set apart. You are now a royal priesthood unto God, unto Christ, and you're different from the rest of the world. And what we are seeing now, I think, is a strong demarcation line between those uh, who want to maintain sort of this Judeo-Christian principle of separateness in the sense of holiness or, you know, we're not just going to run down the, the the path of propaganda. We're not just going to run with the cultural winds. We have a line between that and then the, the radical secular cancel culture, which is, no, you will toe the party line. You will believe things that we tell you to believe, regardless of whether they are in line with empirical evidence, historical faith, any any of those things. And <clears throat> what's what I think is be becoming a tragic phenomenon is the necessity of the development of a dissident culture in the United States, which I find sort of a very scary thing. Um, and Mark Tapson, you, you and I were talking about Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies, which I just read, really great book where mm -hmm. he goes and he interviews people who survived living as dissidents in the old Soviet bloc. And what their concern in, in his interviews with them is that they're looking at Americans saying, gosh, what I saw happening in the 40s, 50s and 60s in Russia or Romania and these countries is starting to happen now. 
And we actually had to go underground to worship, to have intellectual discussions, to have the free uh, exchange of ideas. We, we couldn't live on the top line culture. We had to hide it away and people would disappear. Mm -hmm. and, and so what we're having now in America, in the West, is the same kind of thing. It's starting in the digital domain, sort of on social media, where if you don't hold to the prevailing view, you find yourself no longer with a platform. And that, that I don't think that bodes well for us. So uh, since since you you know you and I've talked about that idea of the dissident culture and live not by lies, I, I'd like to hear your feedback, your comments about what what you see as the forecast of what we're going to have to do as conservatives, Jews, Christians, people of Judeo Christian background, traditionalists in, in the face of all this. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting that the people that Dreher spoke to in his book, Live Not By Lies, um, as, as you pointed out, they, they lived under actual totalitarianism. And what's interesting is that they are able to see what, what's going on in our culture today, whereas a lot of Christian right. conservatives still don't get it. Um, and, uh, you know, I have some Christian conservative friends who don't seem to have the same sense of urgency I do about what's going down. And it worries me that they won't be ready uh, or that they won't be in a position to fight while they still yeah. can until it's too late. And I, like I've kind of broached the idea of making our little uh, homeschooling community, for example, more tight knit in order to sort of have each other's backs and weather the storm that's coming. And and I just get the sense that they're still kind of casual about it, that they, you know, they think it just can't happen here. Um, but the point of Dreyer's book is that this sort of soft totalitarianism is already on us. Um, yeah. by us, meaning Christian conservatives, and that it's only going to get worse before it gets better, and that we need to understand the seriousness of what's coming and hunker down in communities of shared faith and values and ride out this, this forthcoming wave of persecution. Um, and he gets called pessimistic a lot, but you know it's really hard to deny that what he's warning us about is already here and about to get worse. So we need survival strategies for that. And so I, I think you know, what a dissident culture means in practice is one of two things, or possibly both things simultaneously. One is doing the hard work of making our own mm -hmm. long march through the institutions like the left did, only we're, we will now be making it through institutions that are dominated by the left uh, to try to reclaim the culture. Um, and that's going to be a long uphill battle because cancel culture has become yeah. just an open thing now. I mean, it's an it's open and accepted thing. Um, so that's going to be tough. The other option, and it's a little hard to envision how this is going to play out, but the other option is to create a parallel culture of our yes. own by us and for us that we control until we've established a kind of solid infrastructure yep. of cultural production. In other words, mm -hmm our own entertainment, our own education, our own news media, all of it. And we just cling to that and while possibly the progressive culture flames out in its own uh, secular nihilism. Um, but, it, it, you know, and that's mm -hmm. kind of difficult to envision. You know, it's, it, it's how do we, uh, how does that happen? Yeah, well, well, let we're going to have to figure that, that out, I think. And I want to have because... Mark Richardson chime in as well. Go ahead. I've thought a lot yeah. of that as well, as well. And I think that notion yeah. of parallel culture is really important um, be, because the, the mainstream culture doesn't want the ideas that we're talking about. It just does. It's demonstrating clearly that it doesn't want to have this discussion. But I think there are 
um, a couple of analogs that will help us. And the, the Dreher book really helped me in, in uh, formulating this because they, the dissident culture of the old Soviet bloc was they had to create a parallel structure. It was underground. Um, and, and at least from an intellectual perspective, they had to have little um, cohorts of people that would be able to talk and reinforce one another in those little cohorts. What I would say from the American context in looking back at history is really the African-American experience, because after emancipation, black Americans were nowhere people. They, they were not wanted. And I'm painting with a broad brush, but in large measure, they just weren't wanted. And so in order to survive, they had to build up their own for us, by us concept. And rightly so. They, they had to build their own places to live, their own places to work, their own entertainment, their own literature, their, their own culture in order to survive. And they were facing very real persecution from the mainstream culture when they tried, you know, when they started to get successful. And, but, but they survived, they thrived. And, and now, because of all of that work of those ancestors, the most popular figures in American culture, uh, almost to a person, are African American. If you look at sports, you look at movies, you look at um, music, entertainment. I mean, we we look up to people. <laughs> uh, you know, mm -hmm. the, the biggest stars in 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 our universe mm -hmm. are are African American because they survived that way. And so, I think, as from an ideological perspective, those of us who are traditional valued Christian Jewish and so forth like that, we're going to have to, in some way, um, develop those instruments of culture. I, and I, I'm encouraged that Ben Shapiro, apparently, uh, having moved out of California to Nashville, is going to start to venture into entertainment. I think that's a very good thing. So, Mark Richardson, what, what are your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, it actually, John, you, you, you hit on my point I was about to say. It's like, you know, it's like um, the... The Daily Wire. They released a run hide fight. You know, it's like their their fe their feature film, and and uh, they were talking with the producer um, uh, uh, last week, and I was listening to him, and he was basically pretty much to a to a point what you were just saying. It's we as conservatives have to sit back and say, look, we can try to reach out to the left as much as we want to, but after a while, when somebody smacks your hand away, hits you in the face, you know, kicks you, burns your house down. And they wants to put a gun to your head. There's a juncture where you have to say, okay, you go over there and do your thing, and we have to go over here and do our thing. And and I think that I think conservatives and Christian conservatives exactly, they have to come to that realization, and we have to start we have to start doing what we've allowed the left to do for the past yeah. half a century. We have to start putting out movies. We have to start doing what we're doing here. People have to need to start creating podcasts. Yeah. We have to start doing our own, creating our own publishing. We have, you know, it's like we have uh, like Newsmax. We have the Daily Wire. We have, we have other, we have other like conservative bastions of form and entertainment. And we have to basically say, we're going to do our thing and we're going to present it to the rest of the world. And we're, and we're going to do a side-by-side -side comparison and let you decide, do you want this or do you want that? And I believe yeah. that people will choose this but they have to be able to choose, mm -hmm. and if, and if we don't give them an option, mm -hmm. then we're they we're we're, we're going to see here. And, and John, on your point about the African Americans, somehow between that pride and and that and that value, 
we we we've now we've now turned the people that we the African Americans that we should be looking to leading us away from that Marxist socialist uh, socialist value. They're going right down that path. The LeBron James, the Oprah Winfrey's. You know, it's like rather than rather than celebrating, hey, I raised myself up. I came out of hard surroundings. I worked hard. I have these values, and with that, I became this. Yeah. It goes right back into I did this, but I'm still a victim. I'm a victim of white supremacist, and you and you a white it's like or it's like white privilege, and you can sit back and you scratch your head, going, at what point in time <laughs> did you did you basically start taking the idiot pill, and go? It goes like, did you just not it, tell me what you all these hardships you went through to get to that point, and then you default back? <laughs> you to you that. just coined a new like, term, huh? Mark, the idiot bill. <laughs> huh? I don't know if that's very politically correct, but <laughs> it did make me laugh. <laughs> so, well, that's about all all the time that we have for this. So, Mark Tapson, I really appreciate you joining us in this conversation. Again, his website is marktapson.com. You have any oh, uh, my final pleasure. comments for the listeners? Uh, no, I think not that I can think of offhand, just that, um, you know, I suppose it's just that conservatives really need to understand what's, what's happening. And it, it's, you know, because 2020 was yeah. an election year and we just have gone through all of this political madness. Uh, it's really easy for us to stay focused on politics, but it's really not about politics. We're, we're in the political situation we are because of cultural reasons. And uh, so we've, we've got to have our eyes on the culture and realize that, as you mentioned at the beginning, and as Andrew Breitbart said, politics flows downstream from culture. So we will we'll continue losing in the political realm unless we get our act together in the cultural arena. Yep. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Wise words. Wise words. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, I, I would just I would just say, you know, <laughs> folks, culture, it's not just in your yogurt, <laughs> it's in your work. Also, you know, and, and, also, and wise, like, also wise go ahead, words. Go ahead, Mark. It's like, and, and, just, and just like your yogurt, if you, it's like, well, if you don't address it soon, okay. it goes back. Well, on that note, I want to thank you guys. And for the listeners out there, you can find us at facebook.com backslash God and government, all spelled out. And when Parlor is back online, we'll be back up there at God and Government. Gentlemen, have a great day. <laughs>